Hello, everyone. Welcome back to our weekly dive into D&D called Mastering Dungeons. I am Sean Merwin, here with my friend and co-host, Teos Abadia, but we also have a special guest who Teos will introduce. All right. So I am so excited about this, Sean. I mean, usually it's just you and me, but yeah. today, right? I mean, who do we have? It's Celeste Conowich of now of 2C Gaming. Hello, Celeste. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. We are excited to have you here. Awesome. We, Thanks for we are. Us. We are. You're you're really classing up the joint, let me tell you. Oh yeah. boy. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. a lot of pressure. Keeping it classy. You know, this is a nice uh kind of back before I was uh, a co host, I uh listened to the fun episode where you and Sean talked about all about Venture Maidens. Oh, yeah. So this is like a tie-in this is where if it was a comic book we'd have like a little c issue something but we don't know yeah. what issue number is yeah we, threads are colliding that's right versus yeah that's right well you have some exciting news coming up about uh what you are doing with uh 2c gaming and adventure maidens could you tell us a little bit about that and what what you're doing yeah, I certainly can. So, uh, big exciting news. I am taking a, a huge step, um, with 2C Gaming and Venture Maidens partnering together to produce the Venture Maidens campaign guide, uh, which is going to be coming to Kickstarter next month, uh, so April, um, or I guess whenever this is published very soon. Look at Kickstarter. Um, so luckily 2C Gaming is amazing at kickstarting projects. You know, they have done so many successful, um, RPG books at this point and funded them. So I was so thrilled when they wanted to work with Venture Maidens to kind of make our dream happen of producing the campaign guide, um, you know, because the the show itself, Venture Maidens, is an actual play podcast set in an entirely homebrew world of my own creation. So we are going to be seeing that setting come to a book along with a bunch of new subclasses, monsters, items. Uh, we have a brand new heroic destinies system that we're previewing, which will be a really cool way to make like personalized character arcs in your stories so i'm just over the moon um that that y'all were like yes you can come on and talk about this thing <laughs> so thank you so much well yeah a lot has been on our mind recently about uh sort of rules and how to mesh rules with setting and so oh, yeah. your uh your project sort of fit in very nicely with that. So uh, after our news segment, we're going to di dive deep into that topic where you can talk not just about, uh, you know, about rules and things, but you can talk about specifically what you're going through uh, as you take your world and gamify it, if you will, yeah. and make, make the rules mesh with your vision for that campaign. I've got some questions about that. I'm excited about that. <laughs> I may have answers. <laughs> we'll Teos see. has questions. I, this is how it is in my life. I have lots of questions. Answers? No. Questions? Yes. <laughs> but before we get to that, we do like to cover a bit of news here, and there has been news coming fast and furious in the D&D world, so we thought we'd take a few minutes to cover that, including our first little tidbit that Candlekeep Mysteries is now available for you online or from your favorite local gaming store and uh it's got its special edition cover that yeah, i've seen mine. floating around uh you don't actually get a special edition cover when you order on D, &D beyond so yeah. i i i'm going to miss out on that i'm afraid oh teos is holding it up holding it up oh Ooh, it looks so, so shiny in person so i haven't shiny. seen the special cover yet. yeah I, I got the regular old cover yeah. it, it looks like uh you know it's made to look like a, a cool old book right that would be uh, I don't know from what era that is, but, you know, sort of a classic-looking book cover that you can put on a shelf, and it's it's sweet. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's like when, when a publisher reissues old books and they give a nice fancy cover with with uh, gold letters and, yeah. and leather. That makes me sing. That makes me want all the books like that. I want to... Mm -hmm. 
complete like set, set of, of books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and then also that alternate cover was actually how that a book appeared in the Baldur's Gate video game. Um, there was a book called Candlekeep Mysteries, and it looked exactly like that. You could see it on the screen in the game, so that's the reason they oh, went with sweet. that for the alt cover. Cool. I had no idea. That's yeah, awesome. I did not know that. Yeah, because wow. a lot of people were like, wow, this is kind of simpler than a lot of their alternate covers, but it was a heralding to the video game appearance of this book. So it was like a little like Easter egg yeah. But in real life. Um, Sweet. Yeah. I also note it has two fairies on the cover, so more fairy Cute. stuff. They generally oh, confirmed. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, the conspiracy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Teos conspiracy theory of fae, everything fae, and then, or just put jammer on the end of any word. Fae jammer. Has We've done it. <laughs> and I'm sure at some point in future episodes we will talk about Candlekeep Mysteries in more detail, as we do with most books that come out from Wizards. But we're not going to delve too far into that today because we want to get to our next bit of news, which is Gen Con. While they have postponed the convention until September 16th through 19th, they are saying that they still do plan to have in-person gaming as well as uh, online gaming and what they're calling pop-up Gen Con, which will run at local game stores around the world. Uh I have not seen any uh, registration, hotel event information yet. They're saying that it will probably be coming soon. Uh, any thoughts on this? Um, I heard that the cosplay is all radiation suits. <laughs> that would work. That would work. Uh, that would work. They, they, they did have a couple of, of uh, uh, like they had a blog talking through it and, and their press release where they, they, they do say they're going to be consulting with safety and health advisors to make changes to the plan as needed. I, th- I think the big question is sort of, you know, is this a good idea? There are a number of conventions that are now in the September time frame. September's mm-hmm. the new July for conventions, it looks mm-hmm. like, uh, yeah. for this year. Um, and, you know, we're all just wondering whether this is going to work. I think most people feel pretty uncomfortable about going to a convention, but maybe that makes it safer to go to a convention because there will be fewer people and hopefully they're all vaccinated. I don't know. Yeah, I think I've gotten four invitations to conventions in the last 48 hours. Yeah, uh, it's they're definitely starting to pour in as people are like, maybe yeah. it's happening, maybe, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, my joke was Gen Con is only going to be 100 people, and yet all the downtown hotels are still sold out. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> the year I could have gotten a hotel. Yeah, there you yeah. go. I, I think I might just get a hotel even though I'm not going, just to know what it feels like to have a hotel yeah. yeah, reservation downtown. Yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah. yeah. Just maybe they can virtually show you what your room would look like. That's right. That's right. For $100 a night or $400. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I do feel for all these conventions because, uh, you know, if you just stop and think about, well, where where does an entity like Gen Con make its money from every year? And then you kind of realize, oh, yeah, it's the convention. And it's not happening. And there are, you know, no vendors or fewer vendors. And, and they've had a whole year right, of mm-hmm. essentially no income or very little income, and then there's another one. And this is true of all these different conventions, and so it's, it's quite horrible for them, right? It's, it's terrible. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, that it's a, it probably really, really important for them to be constantly trying to think, when will it be safe? And then we need to have time to reserve. So you've got to announce it ahead of time, and you don't want to go too late in the year, so here we are, right? And so yeah. I understand that, and I think they will make the right call if they need to pull out of it. Yeah, I think there's too much at risk um, for anyone to do things that are totally, totally unsafe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nothing is going to be totally safe anymore. Heck, I mean, we talked about con crud, you know, back in 2000 or even earlier that you would get sick going to these conventions. Not not as sick as COVID, obviously, but uh, it's going to be a... um, a tight rope to walk for the industry and, you know, a, a choice on the behalf of the people, whether, you know, it's worth it to, to make, take the risk to go. Yeah. yeah it's a, it's really interesting because now that I'm working with 2C gaming who traditionally goes to all of these conventions, um, you know, actually watching that from that side too, because gaming companies make a ton of money selling their stuff and getting new, new players uh, for their mm-hmm. games and their products. So uh, yeah, that, that tightrope balance is so important for everyone is kind of holding their breath. Uh, yep. <laughs> with them. Yeah, it can be. Yeah. And, it, and it's an interesting mix because, I think for very small companies, it can be 
a really tough question whether to go. And, and one thing that maybe is good is that companies have had some time to assess sort of without con and with con, how do you, you know, what's your balance sheet look like? And so maybe it's healthy because I was reading um, someone from Crafty Games who was sharing about how they, how much time it required of them to prepare for a Gen mm -hmm. Con. Mm -hmm. and and what that's like to, to essentially just lose months of work on either end of Gen Con as you prepare for it, and then you have the costs on top of it, and so you're always trying to figure out, does this validate my being a vendor there as a very small company? Okay. Yeah. And, and at its peak, uh, you know, companies were starting to not go to Gen Con anyway mm -hmm. because of, the, of that cost. So, uh, yeah. you know, maybe this will bring costs back into line for companies. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. To, uh, to be able to actually attend some shows. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Uh, speaking of industry news, uh, ICV2 has released its 2020 industry review. What did these numbers look like, Teos? So overall, it's all good news like we've been reporting on the show. The hobby game industry is up 15% over 2019. That's all of the sectors. So this is board, card, minis, all of it, role-playing games. D&D, as we've heard before, 33% growth in income over 2019, which is absolutely incredible, given that we've already been, in previous years, talking about big growth. So it's just growth upon growth. Um, and as we mentioned in the previous industry, lean, uh, high profit growth. It's not just revenue, but it's, it's lean to run D&D, and so it's a big deal. Um, the top RPGs in the hobby, they always rank them, and it's non-mass market or online, so it tends not to account for things like Amazon. And it, it's not a complete picture, but the order that, that ICV2 has is D&D followed by Pathfinder, then Cyberpunk coming onto the list, Aliens coming onto the list, and Fate. So it's quite a shakeup from what it's been in previous years um, at the bottom three slots. So that's kind mm -hmm. of interesting. Yeah. Um, retail sales were down. You'd expect that because of COVID. Online is up. No surprise. But overall, sales are strong. And um, Kickstarters for tabletop games rose $237 million, up 34%. Wow. The collectible <laughs> game market, yeah, right? The collectible game market, uh, and I hear all of that is because of the Venture Maidens Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're, we're here. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> it's just anticipation. Build up. Uh, the collectible game market, which is uh, just short of $1 billion. that's mostly mm -hmm. Pokemon, Magic the Gathering, and Yu-Gi-Oh. Then you have Miniatures, which had a strong year at $415 million, and that's despite kind of, you know, nobody, nobody going into stores in the same amounts, but uh, apparently brushes and paint sales were really high as yeah. everybody decided that they had time at home to paint. Finally. <laughs> Uh, and then board games hit $425 million, so pretty similar to miniatures. The strongest are the typical things like Pandemic, which I do find is a little ironic. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Gloomhaven. And your old standby that my kids still pick up off the shelf and play, I don't know why, Monopoly. You have to teach your children better, Deus. That's all I, I'm saying. We play all kinds of games. When yeah. your buddies come over, it's like Monopoly. And I don't, I don't know. I mean, yeah. Hey. I, I read that the Candyland is the best game ever thread on Twitter, so yeah. I can't really argue <laughs> right, with, with I anybody. I don't know. No yeah, like pro accessibility yeah. and everything. Okay, but now we have to well, like Candyland. I guess probably Pandemic is on there. I mean, because you can play that with two players. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. So it must, you know, yeah. maintaining that legacy. It's one of the very few games that works very well with two players or more. True. Uh, <laughs> in the yeah. And then just, they did note in this article that new titles have had trouble gaining traction, new board game titles, and I could see that, right? If you're not seeing it in the store physically and you're not yeah. hearing about the player, yeah. Mm -hmm. And speaking of collectible card games, Magic the Gathering has announced when its D&D &D set will release. That will be July 16th. The set will be called Adventures in the Forgotten Realms, and it will replace the usual mid-year core set. What do they say about it? They say that this new set will be flavorful and mechanically unique uh, for players. It is also announced, uh, they use the word, words, begins the journey, uh, that this Adventures in the Forgotten Realms will begin the journey into Faerun. So it could mean that uh, more sets are being planned. And that's all on comicbook.com. I'm, I'm not a magic player, 
but I may become a magic player on July 16th. <laughs> I think that's what they're hoping. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I am definitely their core audience for this. Mm-hmm. If you mm-hmm. had to take that begin the journey thing and think you're sitting in the offices of Wizards, you're, you've got a magic group, you've got a D&D group together, how do you not launch Planescape and do a plane spanning set and bring the two together? Hmm. How do you not do Spelljammer? I mean, that's yeah. obvious. I mean, <laughs> that, that's obvious right there. <laughs> put a giant hamster in a blender yeah. and out comes Spelljammer. That's how we make the thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is... I mean, this is big. We've been saying, for those of us who have been playing D&D and have recognized the behemoth that is Magic the Gathering, how are they not melding these two in some way? And slowly but surely, they're getting there, uh, and we will uh, see it on July 16th, what they've come up with. I mean, I know how to play Magic, so I'm wondering what mechanically unique experience is going to be, but that's why they're the game designers. Hopefully it will be exciting. Yeah, and they did somewhere in one of our shows, we covered some of the the information that was there where there's sort of some like uh, party mechanics and class Mm. mechanics. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But yeah, I I will totally buy this. I play Magic sometimes infrequently with uh, family members. So I will definitely be buying a box of this and having some fun with it. And on more game news from the D&D area, Dark Alliance video game details have been released. It is launching June 22nd on PC and for many consoles, including multiplayer, which if you're going to play Dark Alliance, I would say you would like uh, multiplayer. And there is also a version with a soundtrack provided by Ozzy Osbourne. Am I reading that right? It, it's it's unclear, but the the promo trailer has an Ozzy Osbourne song, and he actually got on Twitter and said, the only thing parents thought would send their kids straight to hell faster than listening to my music was playing Dungeons & Dragons. Oh, my God. So we've I, reached the Ozzy point of D&D's popularity. Oh, wow. Will he be on a live stream? That is the question. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> because, because I... I, I, I would pay money. You invite them on the Venture Maidens. What what could possibly you know, go right there? Um, yeah, that's 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 a big summary. What could possibly go right? That's really funny. Well, I'm personally I'm not a big video game player. I I dabble occasionally, but the first game that uh, my daughter and I played together was a uh, video game was the old Dark Alliance mm-hmm. uh, and Dark Alliance two video games. We love those. We still go back and play them, even though they're however many years old. I played those with with my dad too. <laughs> See, there you go. <laughs> yep, yeah. There you go. Wow. So we are uh, we are my daughter when she comes home from college. We're all about uh, yeah. Dark Alliance uh, on on console. So, there is kind of a retro feel here, right? Because it's oh, all yeah. about Icewind Dale, mm-hmm. which ties into uh, you know your work, Celeste on Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. Uh, but but it doesn't seem to be rhyme based. It seems to be crystal shard based. So it's, it's again very retro. It's it's Drizzt, Caddybri, mm-hmm. Wolfgar, or Bruinor, or who you play, and yeah. you search for the crystal shard and battle, battle frost giants and beholders and white dragons and other things like that. So. Yeah, it's going to be really cool, I think, for people who play, you know, the Rhyme of the Frostmaiden campaign, which is set, you know, in the modern times, uh, canonically, and then go traveling back into the past to play this game, I think will be really exciting for players to kind of see that that informing that happens that has made the world what it is today. Yeah. Um, it's a really cool way to, you know, harken back to that past. Mm-hmm. Sweet. Nice. Uh, Goodman Games wants your Adventures League content at their con. That yeah. was shocking to me mm-hmm. when I saw that. It was like a tweet, I think, or a Facebook post or something. And I went, huh, Goodman Games, Adventures League? What's going on here? So, Teos, what's going on here? I don't know. Well, actually, it took a while to uncover what was going on because the wording was a little interesting. But what it seems to be, and, and they've kind of verified this in a response tweet to me, uh, they put out a call for anybody who has an approved Adventures League adventure that didn't actually get to premiere at a convention. And this happened a lot last year where a lot of the CCC convention-created content adventures were approved. They're legal, and they're supposed to go at the con, and then the con never happened. Mm-hmm. And so they've never been at a convention. 
and Goodman Games wants to take those and highlight those. So if you wrote one, you can contact them. They especially want Tier 1 Adventures, but any tier works, and they want to showcase it at their online convention, which is called Dungeon Con Online. Um, and they also have a partnership with the DMs Guild, which I think also ties into it in some way. Um, <laughs> the other thing they did is they announced DCC Legacy, which is sort of an organized play program of sorts. It's an optional system where you play through the various DCC adventures and you fill out a log sheet and sort of gain experience points based on how what the challenge level is of the adventure, the level of play for the adventure. There's an eight-page PDF. It's really simple. It's like four pages of very simple rules and then four pages of log sheets on how you can play all the various Goodman Games adventures and progress through. Uh, kind of cool. So DCC is Dungeon Crawl Classics, right? Yeah. It's, it's its own game that is obviously D&D-like but not 5e. So Goodman Games has kind of been splitting their focus here. Uh, they've been putting out 5e content, especially updates, 5e updates of old D&D adventures. Plus they've been following their uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics line of games and are or, yeah, trying to get an organized play sort of uh, setting organized play system going for that. So it, that's, it's interesting news. We'll see how that works out. Hey, any awards. I've heard of those. If you want to submit to the Any Awards, you must do so by May 1st. Teos did a deep dive into trying to figure out how to actually submit something. And <laughs> I found it for you. He's going to give us a 40-minute dissertation. Oh, no. On how no, to submit. The, the, the funny part, so you, you've got a – your thing has to have been published between May 1st, 2019, and April 30th, 2020. So you have, like, you know, a few days uh, after – like, two days after this podcast airs or something to submit your product and still have it work. Um, you have until May 1st to submit your submission to get an award on a product that was published in that timeline. Uh, there's an online form that's on the NE's website, ne-awards.com. Um, if you are a physical product, you must mail it in, so you need to give yourself extra time for that. Get it in the mail now. Um, do give yourself some time to find the rules on the website. In fact, to know like things like what the publishing date is of May 1, 2017 to April 30th, you have to go to the mission statement and code of conduct page. Okay. It's, a good, it's a good place for it. Yeah. So the rules are kind of all over the place. Uh, for example, for podcasts, I had to look that up, and there are different rules there that are on that code of conduct page so it, it's a little quirky but um but that's what makes it so lovable right <laughs> there you go <laughs> i will say i have never submitted benjamins to the ennies because every time i try i uh get lost <laughs> in the pages <laughs> and then, but it's a really good podcast uh so you should uh, support people who get ennies because boy they do a lot of work yeah, yeah they <laughs> Yeah, they do a lot of work just to get nominated, not to mention their actual work that yeah. is nominated. And as a reminder, you can submit if you worked on a product and the product lead, whatever main body, does not object to your submitting. So, uh, you know, yeah, that's what, that is what it is. So it's worth, you know, if you were part of something, you don't know if they're going to submit, you can always reach out and say, hey, I worked on this thing with you. Are you going to submit? If not, do you mind if I do? And then you can do that. Also, if you wrote for Adventures League, you can submit your own product or something. You know, for the guild, you can submit that. So it's a good way to to just you know see what happens and 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 get uh, possibly some recognition through the any system. Yeah, it, it's almost as interesting seeing the categories that change and that they come up with than it is to see who actually has won some of these things. <laughs> just to get sort of an overall view of what the industry is doing, you know, as more online things, as more organized play uh, content is, is brought in, uh, yeah. as more self-published things uh, come up, it's, it's fun to watch that. Yeah. And speaking of any worthy content, mm. we are going to get a sneak peek of the third issue, the March issue, of Arcadia Magazine from MCDM, as edited by our friend James Intracasso. What's in this third issue? Oh, there is the Dreamkin, which are three new ancestries by none other than Justice Armand. Mm -hmm. We have Aces High, which are new rules for aerial combat by Sam Manel. 
mm-hmm. A Diamond in the Rough, which is an adventure for third-level characters by Allison Huang. And then we have Ten Spells You Need in 5e by someone called Celeste... <laughs> Conowich. Kono. Oh my gosh! I made it! That looks you, good timing. You made it! And I, I all I know is when I saw this piece, it said a weekend at Bernie's spell, and I'm like, what? Oh yes. Oh yes. Um, I'm really, really excited about this article. I've been sitting through the other two issues of Arcadia, because we all wrote it at the same time and got divided, and it's like, you're on the third issue. I'm like, oh, that's so long to wait for me to be able to talk about it. But, you know, now they have announced it, so that's so cool. Um, and of course, you know, I, I love bringing things from like 3.5 and 3.0 into 5th edition. So mm-hmm. this article is definitely a love letter to that, where I found some of my favorite all-time spells um, from 3.5 that haven't been brought into 5e yet and uh, and created some, including, oh yes, a Weekend of Bernie's uh, spell, uh, which is essentially a way to, uh, yeah, g- get a corpse puppet it around, uh, make it really easy to have this corpse walk and talk a little bit and pass them off as maybe alive, uh, which Sweet. I just imagine is going to be so much fun <laughs> for people. And I just feel like we need to go and write another uh, Acquisitions Incorporated adventure that's solely <laughs> based upon the use of this spell. I think so. I think it should be done. Uh, and the art, I saw the art for it, which is fantastic. Uh, for the spell, which it has like this half dead person. Yeah, so this this spell ended up being a combination of kind of several different spells, because um, you know in in three five especially they had a million spells that kind of did the same thing, but like with slightly different <laughs> wording. Um, so this spell all combined to make a really easy way of like if you can't you know truly resurrect someone, you can at least do this, so the corpse can walk around by themselves and walk to the uh you know the the local temple that's going to be able to, <laughs> to resurrect them um or of course if you you know oh no we accidentally killed this person wow we really no they need to be here um it's just going to be a fun way to to circumvent i feel like a lot of the uh, mistakes that might be made by adventuring parties i think that says a lot about your group that you would have the need <laughs> I have to make played with spell. several groups that would <laughs> desperately <laughs> need this spell. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Good stuff. So you yeah, can find too. all of that in the third issue of Arcadia Magazine. Yeah. So let's get on to our main topic, which is making rules based on your live stream campaign Whoa. or just your campaign if you are not running a live stream campaign. So to to lead us into this, Celeste, could you just give a rundown for those of you who have not heard you on our show or other shows or heard your your show? Um, what is the Venture Maidens? How long has it been running? Uh, what type of experiences does it provide, et cetera? Yeah, so Venture Maidens, uh, like I said, it's an actual play D&D show um, that's been running for about Five years now, actually over five years officially at this point. And right from the get-go, we decided that, hey, you know, we got together as a group. We love telling stories, so let's go ahead and live stream this. And you know what? Let's not just live stream this. Let's also make a podcast out of this. Like, let's just keep it going. Let's do it all. Uh, and that's been going super-duper well for about five years. <laughs> um, so the Venture Maidens, I am the dungeon master for that show. We run in a homebrew setting called The Plains. Um and yeah, over the five years, you know, Venture Maintenance has become kind of so much more than just a campaign, you know, that you're playing with your friends. We have this entire community that has really built up around it. And the story itself, you know, is very high fantasy, uh, very role play driven, I think, compared to some of the other games uh, you might encounter out there. Um, and it's just so much about uh, player agency. Uh, in this world and really plays with the concept of fate and defining your own fate and battling against forces that wish to define your fate is kind of the cornerstone of this game and also our community because, you know, we are five um, women and non-binary people uh, putting this show together in a world that is very male-dominated. So our voices have really carved a a cool place in this space. And I think, you know, a lot of people, when they think of like femme led podcasts can, can point back to venture means we were one of the first ever uh, to 
have an all uh, all femme team. So yeah, it's really absolutely. cool that we are here. I think we might have been the first the first actual play <laughs> podcast. I'll, I'll I'll stake it. We were probably the first one. Um, so and, and, it's so cool to see that coming to life. And this this book is kind of yeah. the um, the pinnacle of all that. You know, we're actually about to end our first campaign. Uh, we just streamed episode 100 last <laughs> week. So uh, it's about to come to the end and the book is going to be there. And so it's all amazing. <laughs> I am hoping that you are going to tell me that this book was like your condition of employment when PC <laughs> Gaming was like, we want to hire you, that you were like, I will join you only if. if. <laughs> and that it's, it's the coolest play anyone ever made to join a gaming company. Yeah, it um, it didn't happen like that, but it oh. is funny that this all kind of worked out because I had been talking to Tusi Gaming about kickstarting this book before they even offered me like full-time employment. And I think they enjoyed how I communicated about that assignment so much while I was working with them on other assignments that they were like, hey, I, that may have even been the push to be like, this is somebody we really need developing products full-time for our team. Uh, so it may have had something to do with it, though that wasn't an obvious condition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's interesting because there, are, there really are no new ideas. Uh, there, there are variations of ideas and you can ask a hundred DMs and they will tell you that their world is the best Mm -hmm. and they may have great ideas, but until you see the work that they can put on a page, those ideas don't really mean a heck of a lot. And so (laughs) having you see the great work that you can do makes these ideas seem more real and more viable. Yeah, I mean, the the big irony of all this is, like, whenever I give advice about, you know, how to get into designing for um, for RPGs, I say, never start with a campaign setting. Don't do it. It's so hard to sell. Nobody wants to hear about your campaign setting. And here I am, like, at the end of it here with having had that advice and that, you know, the challenge of creating a setting um, and actually making it marketable, something that people want um, because, you know, my big goal with this project is that somebody who has never listened to Venture Maidens will be able to buy this book and love it and use it and enjoy it and get a lot out of it um, without knowing anything about the Venture Maidens. That's my big goal. So seeing that process and, like, mm-hmm. being part of it is is really interesting uh, from from this inside perspective. So I'm curious what this product began like what was the initial vision and and what is the the current vision of of what you know what what it is yeah so this is i mean we are so lucky to have such a positive and wonderful community that surrounds the venture maidens i mean these are people who hang out with us in the discord spin conspiracy you know theories about the game uh just support us take part in our events like charity streams um And so they have been asking for a campaign setting for a really long time. And, of course, it's something that I've always dreamed about. Like every DM, right? We all secretly want in our hearts to publish our campaign settings. We all want that. Uh, So it's definitely something I've been thinking about. But there's a difference because I have my old campaign from when I was in high school, and it's terrible. Yeah. (laughs) Yours is actually good. So there's a big difference. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you know, so that, I guess that's where it started. It's like the idea is always there. And it's like, hey, like, let's let's give people the tools to, you know, because they're listening. They're investing so much time in our world and enjoying that experience. I want to be able to hand off that experience to other people. And I think where it's come now is really trying to make this book and this product um, about uh, expansions on how to play this game that we all love. It's not specifically how to play the game in our world. It's how to play the game uh, as, as we invite you to mm-hmm. what it means to tell really personal character stories and to build that inside of these epic scale campaigns, you know, what it means to actually have NPCs and factions that really influence the game in both a mechanical and a role-playing way, like really honing in on the things that I think make D&D really special, but may not have appeared yet uh, in the 5e rules. 
Ooh, so that sounds awesome. Really yeah. honing in on those things and giving people the tools uh, to play D&D the way we do. How, how did having an audience other than your players sort of inform your campaigns, inform these ideas of this world and the rules within the world that you wanted to, to highlight? Oh, my gosh, so much, so much. It is so helpful to see what sets people's hearts on fire, you know, because, like, I'm playing, at the end of the day, I'm playing D&D with my friends. So, of course, you know, they're going to be like, you did a great job. I'm like, it's hard to believe that, you know, from, like, and be like, okay, but, like, what was, you know, from an outside perspective, what is, what are the things you like? What didn't you like? And luckily, the audience provides that outside perspective for you. And you see the the NPCs that people, like, love and talk about all the time. You see the places and the scenes they choose to make fan art of, and you're like, oh, that was so important. You ask them, you know, what their favorite episodes were, and they tell you it's always these role-playing episodes and these situations, and you're like, okay. So it's, like, constant, like, consumer feedback uh, that lets you know exactly what it is that makes people listen to Venture Maidens as opposed to other shows or even hearing like, hey, like you set up this cool monster in the game. I introduced it in my games um, or like, hey, could you give me the, the, you know, the character class of that NPC? I want to get them in my games. Uh, and that kind of like direct feedback is so important. It has shaped so much what is going to appear in the book because these are the things we get asked for and about over and over again. And I was like, gosh, we have to get that in there. We have to get this stuff in there because people, people want it. That's fantastic. So how did you, how did this come together? Like, did, were you given a fair amount of space to think through what you wanted the offering to look like? Or was this where 2C had a thought in their mind? How did that all start gelling together? Yeah, so it's been it's been really great because at first, you know, I was basically I was given full freedom to like pitch what I wanted for the project. Um, and I feel really lucky over the last, you know, year and a half full time freelancing. I've worked on so many other people's projects that I've gotten to see really like the scope of what people offer, what what is new that is happening, what is, you know, tired that people are doing. Uh, so with that, they gave me the freedom. To, like I basically put together a table of contents and like gave it to them. And they're like, I'm like, here, does this seem like a book that anyone would want to buy? And they have been so helpful and wonderful about like the, the creative back and forth of like, you know, being a, a business that sells really successful books and bringing that to my ideas to really like refine and create something so special um, and so unique. So like that, that feedback, that conversation has been invaluable for establishing the project. And I really feel like it worked right away from the get-go, just, you know, marrying the ideas and putting them into a shape and a form uh, that that a mass audience would enjoy. That's great. It seems really powerful to have that mix of something that you know so well and, mm -hmm. and other people feed off of, but then the larger goal of what you're trying to do um, with the product, right, to, to sort yeah. of change the game. And, and that's certainly something that I know Sean and I both love as well is, is when you're making something, you're not just making Adventure 127 or mm -hmm. Rule 46. You're, you're creating, you're trying to influence the way D&D &D works and RPGs work, right? And put, nudge them in, in, in a direction uh, so that the experiences are different and people have aha moments and then hopefully they'll create even better things off of that. But yeah. So I'm curious, tell me about some of this. You mentioned some sort of heroic concepts and mm -hmm. different ways the game works. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so the big thing that I'm really, really excited about, the, the new mechanic that we're introducing in the book is called uh, the, the Heroic Destiny System, which essentially this is an optional system that characters and dungeon masters can use. Uh, but basically, if they want to buy into the Heroic Destiny System, basically there are what, like 14 different destinies we're introducing in the book. And these are kind of the, the big arcs that you have for your character. So like becoming enlightened or like forming a symbiotic relationship with a, a different type of creature or, you know, becoming Whoa. the Avenger. Those things that when you think of like character arcs, 
uh, as a person, those are the heroic destinies. And there are steps that you can achieve along this destiny that there are going to be four levels. Um, and each time you achieve a level, it has to be um, because of a, a, an event that happens, an important event along the, the step of this character um, growing and walking this path. And you get mechanical benefits for doing that. And then, of course, you also get story benefits. So it's meant to work where you do have your own personal quests that tie in with the larger main campaign. Or this is something you can frame like, you know, yeah, we're following the main campaign, but every four sessions or so we're going to focus on this character's like achieving a milestone here. Uh, so it's a system that's really meant to encourage uh, personal growth with your characters. I feel like all too often we kind of get lost um, as DMs, you know, just trying to bring this like big, powerful, important story. And we maybe tend to forget that we also have to pay attention to, you know, the real personalities uh, behind each and every character. So this system is intended for a really easy way for the DMs and the PCs to have a conversation about like, hey, like, I think this would be a great place for my next milestone to occur. Or like, this is how I imagine my next milestone is going to be. Or like, it's going to be a, a good way to open that conversation, to build it into your games. That doesn't add stress to, you know, all on the DM to make this happen or all on the player characters to make this happen. I think it's going to be a really exciting way for people to feel really personally connected to their characters. Is is this something that came out of that, uh, emergent play in your campaign, or is this something that was always in the back of your mind that that started before you even started running Venture Maidens? Yeah, well, the way I ran Venture Maidens, and this is kind of, I guess, how I've always sort of run games, but now I'm actually putting it on paper in a way that other people can use. <laughs> um, but I always, uh, for Venture Maidens, we divided our show into character arcs that made up the main campaign. So the first 30 episodes were really about like our monk's journey, um, achieving this specific goal while inside of this larger goal. And each one focused on a different character. And that is like one of the biggest things that we see with for feedback with Venture Maidens. They're like, oh my gosh, like I loved how you did this. It feels so important. Each character has their moment and their achievements. And our characters have changed so much over the course of 100 episodes evolved as people, you know, their philosophies, what they're about. Um, and that's how I used to run, you know, games. Even like I look back 15 years ago at the games I was running, I would theme each episode around a character. So it's like this this episode, this character's talents are going to shine or we're going to touch a little bit on this piece of backstory or something. And that just really made people feel so connected to their characters and to each other because everybody knew their times were coming as well. So it's like supporting each other through these personal arcs and it just made those big moments in the main campaign so much more meaningful because their characters had so much history and, you know, story behind them. So every decision really did feel important because they had the weight of so many different things influencing them when they had That's to make really those cool. decisions. Yeah. I've, you know, I think that's something that uh, is really valuable because there is a lot of talk about between DMs of, of how they would like their characters to have more of this personal stake. Mm -hmm. And I think it's something that live streams have taught us, uh, whether it's Critical Role or Rivals. You know, Rivals, they're often talking about, Rivals of Waterdeep, they will talk about how they take turns DMing. And so one of the things they also do is they say, what do you want your character to do? Mm -hmm. And... And as we're seeing live streams where these characters do these cool things and they're able to, to have some transformative moments, we think, well, what's, you know, how do we have a formula for that, right? How do I, how do I enable that? And how do I even tell my players that this is possible? Yeah. Um, I've struggled with that a lot in my home campaign to, to try to properly let characters know, like, it's not, I'm not going to let you break things, but I am, I'm totally willing to do some really neat things if you can show me where you want to go, right? Yeah, that's so exactly. That's the goal of this destiny system because it's, you know, the player and the DM, if you're buying into the system, the whole group has to buy into it. You know, you have to decide. Every player has to pick a destiny and the DM has to be involved in, you know, the process. Uh, so really imagining what those what you want for your character and then pointing at something on a page and going, yes, that's it. And then I've left the freedom in there for those milestones. Of course, I've given, you know, some suggestions of what these like big events can be, but a lot of that is 
you know, like tailor this to you. And hopefully the player characters will be thinking for their character what they want that journey to look like and communicating with that. I feel like it's a, it's a system that gives permission for the players and DMs to talk to each other about, you know, their characters. Sometimes there's this feeling, I think, in D&D, it's like, ah, the dungeon master must keep all the secrets behind the screen, and if we interrupt, that's bad. And it's like, no, no, I think it's exactly like you were saying, you know, you know on Critical Role, the conversations that are constantly happening about characters are there. We have those same conversations in Venture Maidens on and off screen. It's Mm -hmm. like, hey, what do you want for your character okay, yeah, let's make that happen. You know, somebody wants to change their warlock patron. That's a big deal. Like, let's talk about that. Let's build that into the game. Somebody wants to, you know, pick up four levels in cleric. All right, how are we going to make that happen? Like, what is that transition like in the game? Uh, So hopefully this system will really encourage people and give them a easy way to do that. Because I think people really want that. They really want those personal stories uh, in their games and are just kind of struggling how to do it. So... Here we are, heroic destinies. Yeah, and no and part of it part of it is sometimes a problem on the DM side, mm-hmm. not being able to let go of of a story or not being able to communicate effectively. And sometimes it's on the player side because yeah. they just don't and know communicate what they want. yeah. Well, and and I think giving them sometimes players are so focused on the rules. Mm-hmm that they forget they can do things outside the rules. (laughs) So exactly as you said, giving them sort of a template for that communication takes the even the most intensely rules-focused players and opens their mind up to something within a structure that they are more comfortable with. Yeah. It's uh, it's great. You know, you you have to give people some kind of guidance uh, mm-hmm. in this game because, you know, we are designing this book for people who've played D&D a thousand times and people who have never in their whole lives played and might want to, you know, step into this this way of playing. So that's been at the forefront of my mind. And I think that's probably the, the part of the book I'm most excited by because I really feel like that's you know, our gift as Venture Maidens, this is what we've been doing, and we want to be able to give the community a way to play with that greatest gift that we've kind of discovered over the course of 100 episodes. That's great. Well, I'm looking forward to that because I, I think there that is a a direction that the game itself wants to head in, mm-hmm. um, and it's and it's great fun. But I, but I do you know as as we've all said there there is trepidation on the side of both DM and player. Um, and it's hard for, for people to understand sort of like, you know, if I say I want to have a relationship with, you know, one of the merchant princes in Chult, right? Like an actual relationship. Um, what does that mean? Like, do mm-hmm. I gain power from that? Right. Yeah. And, and how, how can I affect and how should I be able to affect the setting and the campaign if I have that? And we had that happen in my home campaign. It was fun to play around with. And, and I think the players were very timid about those kinds of opportunities and yeah. in my mind, I was thinking as DM, I'm willing to give you a so lot cool. of power. <laughs> yeah, it's really cool. I love it because we have a leadership is one of the heroic destinies. So becoming the leader of people, which kind of ties in that. We also have like a, a wealthy destiny. Like I just want to get rich. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are two destinies uh, in there. So I think either of those would be perfectly suited for that scenario. Oh, yeah. So it's really yeah. exciting to hear about and imagine this working in games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And th- that's great because as a DM, I know a lot of people will you know, say or try to communicate to the player, what is your end goal? Mm-hmm. And for for players that just sort of want to roll dice and and munch on uh, you know pretzels, yeah. uh, well, I just want power or I just want wealth. You well, making it. <laughs> making a heroic destiny that way is like, oh, good, we have just this for you, so that's that's perfect. Uh, yeah. I've, I've always said, too, you know, when people are like, because I, I talk a lot about, like, how, how do you make NPCs interesting? Like, how do you make characters interesting uh, in anything? And I'm always like, know your motivation. At the end of the day, what are they trying to achieve? What is the goal they are working towards? And these heroic destinies literally give you that big goal to keep in mind. So when you don't know what decisions to make, that's another tool to be like, oh, yes, because I want this, like, this, of course, is the decision. It's just another way to inform uh, excellent role-playing and character decisions. 
Did you uh, did any of the other Venture Maidens team members do writing for this or development for this? So we uh, we have something very exciting. We're all throughout the book. Each of the the maidens is going to, as their characters, be making like character comments and asides on the book. So we awesome. are going to have you know Cara Brunhilda, our dwarven barbarian, you know, <laughs> writing in her blocky script a note about like how to kill this certain monster or you know a magic. I, item I don't want to say that she's my favorite, but. But I mean, a lot of people love Gara. <laughs> it is what it is. So, you know, we are having those those super duper fun touches here. And of course, 2C Gaming has been really awesome about, you know, this is like our dream. So we are really going to be front and center in this, you know, the Kickstarter marketing okay. campaign and everything. Because, you know, this is our love letter um, to the world. So I am so thrilled that all of the maidens are involved in the process and getting to, you know, put their personality on the book as well. That's always been so important in this process. So as as a designer, uh, how much of the design, the rules development specifically, did you do for the show? And how much of it did you say, oh, I'm going to be making a book. I'm going to do it now. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> I yeah. love that one. Um, it's it's been you know because when you when you DM and when you write games yes you are writing and you are creating and you know so much but you're making it for your table which is so much different than like actually making rules that you can hand to anyone in the world without context that they can use so a lot of it has been taking all of the things I you know designed with air quotes for my table and then opening that up and clarifying it and making it simple and also like I said the big thing is making this usable if you don't know anything about venture maidens so framing things that are interesting in terms of mythology and use and you know creative inspiration but not tied specifically to this setting so getting that imaginative elements in there and also making something really useful that would be useful in any campaign has definitely required a lot of extra design work on top of building what was already there but what's nice is the ideas were already there which i feel like is the hard part getting a good idea is the hardest part i feel like of of any really good design so now it's just tweaking and play testing and like that's why i'm so thrilled to have the 2c gaming team behind me because you know sometimes you have a great idea and you're just like god i just do not know <laughs> how to how to communicate this and for nothing else at, at the end of the day it's like hey let me just tell you what i wrote down does this please please just tell me if this makes any sense at all um <laughs> team for having a team is so invaluable in so many ways and do you have other writers as well that are involved in the project? We do, yes. Uh, so we have uh, three uh, additional stretch goal, or not stretch goal writers, three additional writers who are going to be brought onto the project. And I'm so thrilled. I haven't even announced this yet. They'll probably be announced though by the time this comes out. But um, so we have Willia Beale is going to be doing contract writing for the book. So he's worked on Arcadia and also does just a bunch of really cool DMs Guild stuff. Is involved in one of our Venture Maidens, the Rising Hunger streams uh, that we do. Uh, over on the channel, so thrilled to have him on the project. Um, JB Little, so drop the die um, mm -hmm. on Twitter. He does a ton of work for our Patreon uh, for Venture Maidens already, so he writes a ton for the community and is really involved. Um, and then we have Kat Kruger is going to be doing work on this, and she is, you know, the DM for D20 Dames, which is another yeah. fabulous actual play D&D &D podcast that, that we love uh, and have worked with a ton. So having those three writers on the project is going to be so incredible um, to see their work, and I'm just so thrilled for what they're going to bring. That's a great That's team. Great. I love yeah. Kat. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I'm so I'm so thrilled that all they were all my first choices, <laughs> and the Fantastic. fact that they all were like on board, I was like, ah, this is perfect. <laughs> oh, it's gonna be so good. So, so uh, were there were there any uh, unexpected challenges that came up, especially in terms of creating something from a live stream? <laughs> yeah, I think there. So when I did, you know, send my like table of contents for the book like here's what it is trying to really explain your setting and an 100 episode game in a really simple way to like market and communicate that and pitch it was 
was bonkers, like how how challenging it is to distill something you love so much and are so passionate about into a way that is really, you know, quippy, easy to understand. Two sen- in two sentences, tell me what Venture Made is about. Right. You know, that kind of stuff. And you're like, ah. <laughs> um, so really making those decisions on how to talk about this project and how to sell this project, especially to people who have no idea what Venture Maidens is and may never even listen to the podcast, but still buy the book. Um, That I think has been the biggest challenge. Also organizing five years worth of notes and information to try and like get that into a a format that a human can understand (laughs) is um, was huge. I feel like I've been playing like archivist, for for the past like six months trying to piece things together and luckily our community has been so wonderful they've actually started a venture means wikipedia page that has been so useful for me uh to go in and like look at okay yes and then people will be like what was this character what what was their name what was their deal and i'm like oh my god that character and you know going back (laughs) so it's it's been a lot of work um tracking that all down clarifying simplifying has been by far the most complicated part of the process do you find sometimes that fans know some things better than you do oh yeah oh yeah all the time because because also we we are constantly getting new listeners so and these people will binge a hundred episodes of a campaign you know in two three months they'll listen to the whole series (laughs) Whereas we haven't played, you know, episode one or two for five years. So to them, they've heard it all. It's so fresh for them. And then it's so fascinating to hear people being like, oh, my God, this thing in episode 10, like, ties back to, you know, what just happened in episode 98. And, like, how did you do that? And I'm like, (laughs) yes. (laughs) Yes, I've had it planned the whole time. Ah, um. So, you know, seeing, gosh, and just seeing people fall in love with the show from the beginning over and over again is so incredible. It's so incredible, the legacy of this thing. And um, and that's something, too, with designing the book. It's like because we are going to have people who discover Venture Maidens indefinitely and they'll find out there's a book, you know, in the process. So thinking about those people a year from now who tune in and listen to the show and just hear about Venture Maidens and just hear the fact that we have the book. We have to write the book for them, too, the people who are coming in the future. Uh, we want this thing to be able to stand all the way through 5e. So how did you balance that desire to cater to the person that has listened since the beginning or the person who binged recently or the person who just started kind of partway through or even the yeah. person who hasn't listened to any episode? Like, so how, <laughs> right. How do you try to I know how you do it, right? I, how did you not go insane doing this? We're still working on it, um, is the thing. but I think that's going to be the question that we constantly come back to over, you know, the design process, because, of course, we've done some pre-production, but, like, when we get in there, too, and then also, yeah, constantly balancing that, it's going to be really tricky, but I think yeah. my solution, my answer is, like, really look at, because there are a lot of actual play podcasts in this world. There are hundreds, hundreds, and hundreds. Mm-hmm. Everyone you know has an actual play D&D podcast. So what is it about the Venture Maidens that is special? What is it that makes people listen to the Venture Maidens instead of these other shows? And honing in on what the answers to those are and then bringing that in this book. And it's not like specific details of setting. It really is about how we play the game and how we interact with Dungeons & Dragons, why we love it. And so really focusing on those pieces and putting them on the stage I think is going to be the answer we're always going to come back to here. So really, again, emphasizing those like personal interactions, those, those character stories inside of the larger narrative, the, the Mm -hmm. complex characters, the shades of gray, the idea of fate. Those are going to be the things that are always, you know, whenever I stray away from what's happening, I'm going to circle back to those ideas because we know I'm going to stray and get lost <laughs> in the weeds. But we have that those core ideas that we're always going to circle back to uh, yeah. to attract fans of all types. Do you do you find yourself at some point thinking I'm too close to this? Like, is it personal? Like, I want to put this thing in, even though maybe nobody else loves it, or I. 
luckily, I again, I am so lucky that I have this freelance year and a half behind me because I have been through so much heartbreak of like writing something you love and then having to let it go like for projects and seeing what people do. You know, once you hand off your work and it goes through a hundred other hands and it comes back and you don't even recognize it anymore. I feel like I've been through it all, which has Mm -hmm. really prepared me to do this project, uh, which is something I love so much and is so near and dear to my heart. And I, I have luckily, I think, come to the realization that I want people to enjoy this this thing. Maybe I don't specifically have the exact answers for how everyone in the world is going to enjoy this thing. That's why I need a team people, because a team will have a much better idea of what people will love about this. So I'm sure there are going to be some hard decisions, uh, you know, down the road. But ultimately, if we make a book that people love and is it's useful, that's that's my main priority. So everything else is negotiable. That's cool. Yeah. Did you, or are you going to try to tell the story of Venture Maidens within the product? I don't think so. I, I, I think I really, I've been reading a lot of, you know, of course, like the, the Watsi setting guides that come out. And it was really interesting, too, to look at Explorer's Guide to Wildmount. And see, you know, the story of Critical Role and, like, how you actually do a setting. And then to look, of course, like, such legacy settings like the Eberron, you know, guide and, like, how you bring these amazing things to the table. And I don't want, like, our story in the game to, like, impress anything upon anyone. Like, you, oh, the events of our game happened here. I imagine us as playing in this setting. Like, I was somebody who picked up this book and was like, this is the story I'm going to tell with it. And I want people to feel invited to do the same. Um, because, of course, in our campaign of Venture world-shattering events are happening. You know, we've been playing <laughs> 100 episodes. You know, we're level 17. Big yeah. stuff is happening that might, like, totally wreck things in the world. So I want us to, you know, be in our playground and to blow that up as much as we want. But I want to present the same base playground to somebody else and have them blow it up and it could look totally different than the way the venture maidens have been doing it uh in the live stream game so i'm I'm really trying to think about it from that perspective give people the building blocks without telling them how to build the structures i think that makes terrific sense we thought about this when sean and i worked on the acquisitions incorporated book yeah exactly Um, like (laughs) it wasn't half as personal as it is for you but we were still you know we were listening to all these shows again we were going through all these different, you know, thinking about how do you, because originally there was this idea that we would sort of sum up, <laughs> quote unquote, what happened in all these different live stream episodes. Not only was it just an impossible process to kind of really truly do <laughs> that. Um, and, and in the end, I kind of, we punted and we just said like, you know, some of the acting folks could, the Penny Arcade folks could write this. But in the end, we ended up not doing it because it was it was too, you know, like, how do you sum it up? It's so much, right. and it's so many different things for so many different people. And then at the end of it, like you said, is it super useful to have that other story, you know, the whole or does point it get is in to the way? your story Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And there are different audiences to to keep in consideration. Mm-hmm. And so, it yeah, it becomes a, becomes a whole other sort of business put on your Ferengi ears for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know who's who's going to uh, who's going to be our audience for this? So. Yeah, exactly. Oh, this is really exciting. Yeah. Uh, w- did you have any other questions, Teos? No, no. I mean, other than uh, w- well, when does it release? Yeah, so we are going to be going up on Kickstarter probably April eighth, um, within a couple days of April eighth, give or take. Uh, and of course, the project is going to be running for that month. So. We are really, really hoping to hit uh, our stretch goals uh, for this project because basically all of our stretch goals are going to be add more art to the book, uh, add more stuff to the book, and then pay everybody better. Um, Those are all the stretch goals I want to focus on. So if we achieve those goals, the book will be – I mean, it's going to be great no matter what, but, like, the book will be so mind-blowingly good (laughs) that it will be just remarkable. And, of course, you know, we're aiming to get the PDF out to folks uh, around, like, six to eighth month at that point. So you should start seeing – I mean, 
we have we have so much already in the works and we have our writers on board and it's just going to be things are happening so fast um but please do yeah april 8th uh, it's going to be going up on the QC Gaming Kickstarter account. Um, you can, of course, follow Venture Maidens everywhere at Venture Maidens. We're going to be screaming about it. Me personally at CCon, which I'm going to be screaming about it. Uh, so please do get involved in the project. And even if, you know, you're like, oh, no, it doesn't really sound like a thing. All, every every ounce of support is going to bring, you know, femme voices into this space. I really yeah. feel like if this project funds, it's a big statement. Like, hey, we love D&D a million different ways, and we want to keep that going. Uh, so please do consider checking out the Venture Maidens campaign guide. There you go. Send me on it. Yep. <laughs> Yay, we, good! We will have links up uh, on all of our Mastering Dungeon outlets for it when it goes live. Yeah. So uh, speaking of social media, so where can people follow you, Celeste, and your shows and everything else that you do? Yeah, like I said, the best thing just to keep up with everything I'm doing uh, is to follow me on Twitter at CConowich. Uh If you do want to check out my full schedule of shows I'm making, live streams I'm doing, things I'm producing, check out uh, my podcast network that I co-own called Penwich Studio. Um, check out my website, CelesteConowich.com. Real simple. You can just go there. Um, other than that, yeah, let's get in touch. Uh, I do a billion different things, so I would love to hear uh, about what you're working on, and you know, I'll share a little bit about my stuff too. So, thank you both so much for having me on the show. It's it's so wonderful that you you let me stand and talk about this thing I love so much. We um, are always happy to have the best and the brightest come talk to us, and yeah. you are both, my Aww. friend. You are both. And and we knew that you wouldn't uh, just promote a thing, but this would be an interesting conversation, and mm-hmm. it's true. It's, um, it's, <laughs> it's been one of the biggest challenges of my whole life, like bringing this into a book, and right, I right. know other people dream about this, too. And so any any help or advice my experience can, can be for you, I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to share that. Awesome. And thank you to all our listeners out there and to our patrons. If you would like to become a patron of the show, you can go to patreon.com slash MMB. So, Teos, what if people want to hear your thoughts? Where do they go? Uh, deep inside my brain. Oh, oh, you mean yeah, <laughs> social media. It's at AlphaStream on the Twitters. Uh, my blog is alphastream.org, where I shared a look back, uh, an index of our exploration discussion we had back way when, Sean. Um, wow. So if folks who want to find that advice, you can now easily find the shows that have it. That was the last thing on my blog. What about you, Sean? Where do you hide? Uh, go to at Fun with Avalanches uh, on Twitter. <laughs> no, wait. That's a, that's a different. That's a different. I'm gonna say I do bad, but that's even yes. better. Yes, uh, I, I am on Twitter at Sean Merwin. You can go to the forums at forums.misdirectedmark.com to talk to us, or you can follow the podcast Twitter at Mastering D and Mastering Dungeons is a misdirected Mark production. So Teos and Celeste, we are done with our show. What should we do now? Gosh, I have to say something? You don't have to. Um, I mean, let's blast we... off into space! <laughs> <laughs> Spelljammer confirmed. Spelljammer confirmed. That's the that, uh, confirmed spell damage. That's right. <laughs>